Hi, I want to take this opportunity to thank you all for joining our family podcast. Being able to do this is both fun and work. Our family hopes that you will find what you hear today as both entertaining and comforting. If you do, please keep coming back. We know that with our family, some of the days have been long, but the years have gone by fast. Believe this advice that I know you've already heard a bunch of times before. Make it a priority to enjoy the present. Well, that is all I have to say this time. Once again, on behalf of my family, thank you for joining the Nine Points Podcast. Lift every voice and sing Till earth and heaven ring Ring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling sea. Sing a song. Full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song. Full of the hope that the presence has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun. Let us march on till victory is won. Welcome to the Nine Points Podcast. My name is Tim, and on behalf of my family, I'd like to say thank you for joining us today. As a family, we set out to inspire and entertain your families so that we can build better relationships. We at the Nine Point Podcast receive our inspiration from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. This scripture speaks to nine fruits of the Spirit of God and is read as follows. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Today's show is going to have two segments. In the first segment, I'll begin by talking about fighting for our families and how that fight starts within our hearts and minds as individuals. And then in the second segment, I'm going to talk to our oldest son a little bit about Barnabas and Paul, because I'm going to talk about uh, Barnabas, Paul, and a little bit about Ananias um, in that when I get later, when I get later on uh, into this uh, particular segment, and I'm going to tell my son a little bit about them and ask him some of his, you know, some of the things that he uh, recognizes as good traits that these people have. Uh, but in order at the beginning, um, I'm going to start off by telling you about a experience that I used to have, something I used to do for fun when I was a kid. When I was growing up as a kid, uh, one of our one of my friends had a above ground swimming pool. And when we when several of us would get together in the pool, uh, one of the one of the more re- recurring things that we did for fun is like we would kind of like get in a line and space out a little bit and just walk in one direction for a couple of minutes. And then somebody would say switch and then we would spin around and try to put our feet down and just stand in the water. And the water would just push us back. It just it was like <laughs> like we weren't like we weren't strong. It was just like just blow us on backwards. And we did that for I mean, it was fun. 
I mean, it was fun, but it also went to show just the power of the things that you do. You might not even be thinking about um, the what you're doing, or you might not be thinking about the legacy that you leave behind you because just doing something as simple as going in a direction with several other people, we caused a current and that current was too strong for any one of us to resist. Uh, I bring up that example from childhood because there are times in life when you and I must resist the momentum set against us, even if we can't stop it. The reason for this is because the glory of the victory is always God's. It's not our, not our glory that we're really fighting for. Resisting the momentum is more enjoyable when you have fellowship and teamwork, but sometimes you must stand alone. First thing I want to do before I go any further is to let you know that I have made mistakes. I made mistakes this morning. I make mistakes. I am a flawed person. I don't hide it. And my wife would confirm. She's not too far away from me right now. She's probably going to giggle. But yeah, I am a flawed person. I'm going to be a flawed person tomorrow. I make mistakes. And I and I assume that if you're listening to this show that you embrace that same truth for yourself. You don't set out to make mistakes. You don't stick your chest out and be like, yeah, I'd messed up. No, but you probably acknowledge that you're not perfect. And you, the fact that you're not perfect doesn't stop you from trying to do your best. But I want to acknowledge that as an imperfect person, you and I may not live up to the promises that we make for ourselves. Now, when we don't live up to the promises that we make for ourselves, the pride within us becomes really hypersensitive to the imperfections of others. Humility would reveal that we have let ourselves down. We have let ourselves down. But the pride is a powerful mercenary. Pride rushes in and either denies or justifies our missteps. Then we seek a scapegoat to externalize all the blame upon. Doesn't matter what color you are. Doesn't matter where you grew up. It doesn't matter who you like to vote for. It doesn't matter what cause you think is more is most important. When we let ourselves down, there is a innate part of us that wants to deny some aspect of the responsibility for that mistake or for for that disappointment. And there's not enough holy water that can wash that out of us. That's just a part of life. And the quicker or the more, not quicker, the more consistently and more genuinely we embrace that about ourselves, the better chance we have of not make the same mistakes over and over and over again, but slightly different mistakes. So it's nothing new. It's just like Adam and Eve 2.0 now in the 21st century. Remember during Genesis chapter three, the, the passage that talks about the fall, when God showed up, Adam blamed Eve. Then Eve blamed the serpent and the serpent didn't say anything. So since this tendency to deflect is always inside of us and we're always at war against it, we may not know when or to what extent the deflection is impacting what we can comprehend, what we can say, what we can see, what we are even think is possible. 
So as I continue, when I talk about what family members are going to do to us from time to time, it's not because I assume that the parent or husband is always right. That's couldn't the truth is the that kind of conclusion couldn't be further from the truth. I'm only speaking from a transactional point of view. As a father and a husband, I'll be both hero and villain. I have been. So family members will oppose your well-laid plans. Sometimes they may even display a sense of satisfaction for having laid west to, laid waste to your best efforts. You must invest in the process of resisting that which would destroy your family. You must do this by relying on the words that God places on your heart and not necessarily your own understanding of transactional justice. Sometimes the words that God puts on our hearts are even scarier than a foolhardy family member. At least with that foolhardy family member, you may have some idea of what to expect. Conversely, with God, sometimes I feel like he's asking me to do something that I don't even know how to do. You think I'm lying? You think I'm exaggerating? The Bible says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. There is a vulnerability that comes with waiting for others to do the right thing and fighting the temptation to cut them off. This would seemingly expedite the process of finding closure and sanity for yourself. That's what we tell ourselves when people betray us over and over and over again. When people don't look like they're trying hard enough from where we're standing. When people's when other people's actions consistently consistently uh, put them in a situation where they need some more support uh, than I might be willing to give at that moment, or, you know, especially if I see a pattern or something. And this is where faith comes in. Without faith, I cannot stand as the mentor, guardian, and friend that God calls me to be. When I fail to do this, then the family, community, or nation that I fight so hard for will become brittle and perpetually desperate. Who wants that? As an authority figure, you and I will lead by example. In the process of leading by example, you and I need to do it with a kind of faith, joy, and self-control that makes what we are doing look interesting enough for the ones under us to emulate. Now I want to this the next thing I want to talk to you about is in the book, mostly in the book of Acts in the New Testament. I want you to go into the book of Acts and start reading it maybe around chapter four. Uh, I want you to do this so that you can get an understanding of Barnabas, Ananias, and Paul. These are three central figures that I'm going to talk to talk about for the next couple of minutes and to finish this segment. Paul. Ananias and Barnabas. Now, after you, if you're if you're a Christian and you're familiar with some of those words, uh, some of those people, and you can go back and go into your Bible and um, 
read some of the specifics of their dynamics and what happened and how they met each other, go ahead. Um, but if it's pretty strong in your heart and you know what it's about, um, you can go ahead and I'll just ask you this now. Ask these two questions. What if Ananias had refused to heal Paul? Paul had an awful reputation. So why wouldn't he be tempted to run away from the responsibility of helping Paul? In the Old Testament, Jonah did. Remember, Jonah was so opposed to doing what God asked him to do that he set out to do the exact opposite. God told Jonah to go one way geographically and spiritually and Jonah did the exact opposite Jonah ran until he didn't even have any more earth under his feet to run on and then he got on a boat so that he could keep on running away so the temptation to walk away when something doesn't seem fair or logical is nothing new and it's not exclusive to whatever out group it makes might seem comp- seem easy to demonize whatever out group um, is out there and disagreeing with something really really strong strongly that I believe in that out group could be somebody you know somebody in my own in my own family if it doesn't seem fair or logical there's a part of me that wants to wash my hands and say no I don't need that now second question is <clears throat> What if Barnabas, what if Barnabas had not convinced the early church to take a chance on Paul? Where would all nine Jews be today if it were not for Paul's dedicated life and what he did? That would not have happened if Barnabas did not act by faith. Barnabas Barnabas could have said, I don't want to stake my reputation with the church. I don't want to be responsible for bringing a known enemy into the heart of our movement. What if he turns out to be a mole or a Trojan horse? That will be on me. Before you and I can even entertain the notion of what would Jesus do, we must first be willing to do for our families what Ananias and Barnabas did for the early church. Ananias relied upon faith in his relationship with God so that he could obey God. God told Ananias to help someone who had given no reason to be trusted. Barnabas relied upon faith in his relationship with God so that he could vouch for a troublemaker from Tarsus. Spoiler alert. Just because you're willing to do certain things for others, Don't expect others to be willing or capable of doing the exact same thing for you. As believers, we have to be ready to put our faith in what God is calling us to do, even though we will likely part ways on some important matters. Read Acts 15 uh, verses 37 and 38. Later on, Barnabas was willing to vouch for Mark, also called John. But guess who wasn't willing to do that? Paul, the very person that Barnabas had vouched for before. When he was first coming to God, Barnabas is the one that put himself on the line and welcomed him and encouraged the other uh, early leaders of the church to put their arms around. 
But Paul was not able or willing to do that for Mark. Paul did not think it was wise to bring John, like I said, John and Mark. I don't know if something like the people call him Mark John or John Mark. But anyway, Paul did not think it was wise to bring Mark back into this work because of his past actions. The rest, as they say, is history. I ended up going to church and Sunday school singing songs about Paul and Silas and not Paul, Mark and Barnabas. What Barnabas did was essential for the cultivation of Paul's mind, body and spirit. We have to be willing to do that for our family. Barnabas did these things. And when Paul was able to carry on as a powerful messenger without him, well, they parted ways. Barnabas went on, I can assume, continuing to serve God. Meanwhile, when you read the Bible and compare the two, it might seem like Barnabas and his work was more off the grid in comparison to Paul. I say this because the Bible goes on to say a whole lot more about what Paul's experiences were after this than it does about Barnabas. In closing, I have to declare that the Bible is incredible. We can talk about the actions of Paul and Barnabas, who never spoke about parenting and still use their example for family, for our understanding of family dynamics. Paul refused to overlook what Mark did in the past. Neither Paul nor Barnabas will compromise. God continued to walk with them both. We have scripture to understand some of the remarkable things that happened in Paul's life after this. We have our imaginations and less scripture to comprehend how God kept on providing for Barnabas. As a parent, your mind tells you what Proverbs 22 6 says. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That verse means a whole lot more to me now that I'm a parent. As my children go older, wiser, and more assertive, the truth of those words revealed new responsibilities for me. My children will depart from me. They will depart from inside my home, inside my heart, and out into the world. They will depart from me. It's not, it, it doesn't say if they depart, uh, it, well, let me, let me get back to that. They will depart from me, okay? If you can maintain your wits and dignity in the midst of the disagreements, then you send a powerful spiritual message for the entire family. They will carry a portion of their functional and dysfunctional experiences with me throughout their lives, yet they will live their own lives. They won't relive mine. I don't think that God wants them to. While I know this in my mind, the twists and turns in which this truth is revealed to me will sometimes be taxing. However, if my wife and I train our children in the way that they should go, then they will keep on running into God. They will keep on representing God. They will keep on remembering that God wants them to love themselves and to demonstrate that love 
by treating others a certain way. Before we start to go off in different directions, our spouses and children will bring spiritual baggage and other parasites. This is not because they do not respect us enough. It is because when you and I go outside to play for a few hours, you'll smell different when you come back home. How many times have you told your kids you smell like outside? They smell like outside because they were not stuck up under you, which is a good thing. They had to go get out from under you in order to give both you and them some space. Without giving each other the necessary space, then both you and I and the kids will miss new opportunities and then try to justify it. Resist the temptation to take the disagreements as evidence that you or your family is necessarily doing something wrong. While it is obvious that certain behaviors will always be wrong, certain behaviors will necessarily have to be different in order to permit growth. Look at Barnabas and Paul as the examples. So, I didn't know that I was going to talk for almost 90 minutes, but it was strong. It was it was on my heart. And I told a couple of people in my family, it took longer for me to prepare for this first segment than any of the other segments that I've done for the podcast. Part of it might be because I haven't been in practice for so long, but I had I'm glad that um, I'm glad to be able to able to share. I'm glad to be able to have others share with me. And hopefully what we're able to do as a family will be helpful for others and entertaining for others. Um, So I'm going to be quiet right now. Step off for a quick break, quick intermission, quick commercial. And then when I come back, we'll go on into segment two with my big son. Hello, Nine Points audience. It's me again. If my husband has not mentioned it in today's show, I want to remind everyone out there that my husband's most recent novel is called Lord Shelter. Lord Shelter is a work of Christian fiction that you can order in paperback and ebook formats. Look for Lord Shelter by Timothy Hill at Book Baby Bookshop, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Walmart.com, and more. If you are inclined to purchase the book for yourself or a gift for someone else, I want to personally thank you on behalf of our entire family. Thank you for your attention and welcome to the final segment of today's episode of the Nine Points Podcast. All right, welcome back. Welcome to the second and final segment of our show. Uh, This is Z time and I am now joined by King, the oldest, somebody coming up on and hoping to be 20 this year. Which is amazing to me. How you doing, sir? I'm doing okay. All right, good, good. You and I both doing all right. Well, son, I'm not going to take up too much of your time. Um, I want to first off ask you, do you know very much about the Apostle Paul and and, um, how the Apostle Paul, well, tell me a little bit about what you know from the, the Apostle Paul. This is what I know about the Apostle Paul. He's he he's a Pharisee, a Pharisee that used to have that used to persecute other Christians until 
Jesus called him and ended up saving him from his sins. And since then, he went on adventures to to spread the gospel to many different areas in the Roman Empire, including Rome. He was persecuted. He was beaten. But overall, he kept his faith. And he was accompanied by many others, like Peter, and I believe James, and a few others. That's my son. He could have just dropped that microphone in my hand and I'd just sit it on down and let it roll. You're right. The Apostle Paul, <coughs> he started off as Saul from Tarsus and he persecuted Christians. He was a, you know, um, a practicing Jew and a Roman citizen. And both of those truths of who he is, who he, well, I'm sorry, who he was before he became a Christian, both of those convictions helped him to be a strong messenger. People couldn't tell him, well, you don't know about this or you, you're an outsider. Paul was like, I know about this. I know about that. And contrary to what you're telling me, world, this is what I know. The things that I learned as a Roman citizen, the things I learned as a Jew. And you say he was a Pharisee? Yep. Okay. The things that I learned as a Pharisee, the things that I learned as a Roman citizen only confirm what I was told and what I believe about Jesus. It's not the other way around. And that helped him to go out and do what he did. Um, Now, do you know about Barnabas? Um, about Barnabas, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's one of those people who interacted with Paul. Yes. What happened with Paul was, um, first, you know, after he was blinded, after he was blinded, he went and a man named Ananias, God talked to Ananias and a man named Ananias, uh, healed Paul and gave him back his sight. And after that, um, a man named Barnabas ran into Paul, found Paul, was called to go uh, or accept Paul or was told to go and find Paul. However, the specifics of the Bible uh, lays out how they met, which I'm saying to everybody out there, you need to read it for yourself so that you're not stumbling and bumbling if somebody's asking you. Um, They got together. And Barnabas was already in the church. He was a he was a strong believer. He was a strong advocate for Jesus, the ministry of Jesus and the and the good news preaching salvation to the world. He was already there. And. Saul, the um, Saul from Tarsus, who became Paul, had a strong reputation of going against everything related to the church. This guy, Barnabas, was one of, in the Bible, he was the the strongest early advocate for Paul. He He was the first and strongest person to encourage the other believers, the other apostles, 
to embrace Paul, to take him in, to uh, to teach him the ways of of Christ, to allow him to be a part of the fellowship. So that was that was Barnabas. That's a little bit about Barnabas and what he did. So. Do you think, first of all, what do you think? How do you think about, well, what do you think of somebody that is building something? Let's say, I'm trying to think of a good example. Trying to think of a good example. Let's say that you want, you want to build something and you're working to do something. And you, let's say you want to make something, you're fighting for some kind of right. You're fighting for civil rights or you're fighting for let's just let's just leave it as civil rights. You're fighting for civil rights. And there is there are people that are opposed to uh, your idea of what civil rights stand for. Okay, There are people that are opposed to your perspective, not they're not going to necessarily say they're against people being treated, uh, being treated as equals but they might not agree with your particular ideology on what that looks like. All right. Imagine one of the strongest anti people, one of the people that went on, that went on a rampage, locking people like you up, beating people like you up, pulling people like you out from your homes watching people kill people like you and laughing and taking their coat. Yeah, I'll hold your coat, beat them down. Now, imagine, okay, you know what you're standing for. You know what's important. And let's say this person's name was Paul. Barnabas, because of his faith in God, he embraced Paul and trusted that he was going to do right by that movement. What do you think about what kind of person does it take to be a Barnabas to see all that kind of carnage and still allow your faith to supersede all the things that your, your mind is telling you about not trusting that person. Barnabas strength. That wasn't inhuman. That was completely from God. And it's only possible because of our relationship with God, because of the faith that he gives us. He gives us the strength to do and to fight through the impossible. Seeing all that horrifying stuff, and it's easy to be traumatized or hold a grudge. But I'm strongly, I'm strongly convinced that it's only because of God's spirit among this man that he embraced Paul. He could see the change. He could see the change. And that's how it became. All right. Now, let me tell you about something, something that happened later on. Paul and Barnabas were very, very close for a lot of reasons, right? They were very close. Well, there was a guy, let's say, um, Let's pretend. Well, no, no, I don't want to draw draw that out by trying to make too many examples. In the case of Paul and Barnabas, there was a guy named Mark. 
Mark had did, had did some things with Paul and Barnabas early on, but something happened. Um, the Bible is the Bible uh, tells you specifically what uh, what Mark did uh, in those early days, and because of and and um, after Paul and Barnabas had gone out and done a lot of things to build the church, Barnabas, this same person that embraced Paul and said. God is not done with you. God is going to make is going to transcend your uh, the negative things you've done in your past to do great works for you. The same person that did that went and embraced Mark and said, all right, Mark, let's go. Let's do this stuff together. Uh, You, me uh, or he told he told uh, Paul, let's go get Mark. And so that we can do these things together. And Paul was like, no. Paul said, no, he abandoned us. He abandoned us when we needed him. And no, he came right. No, 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 no. I don't want him to ride with me. <clears throat> I don't want to go out in the community with him. <clears throat> so because of this, these two people, they cared a lot about each other. They respected each other. They went their separate ways. Paul did not go with Barnabas anymore. Barnabas went out with Mark and Paul um, started to go out with Silas, not go out with, but that Silas is the person that he would, you know, that he was um, going out and ministering with. It became Paul and Silas instead of Paul and Barnabas. Do you think now it's obvious somebody could say, how are you going to be, how are you going to say that some that you're going to hold somebody's past against them after all the things that you did. You know, somebody could say that to Paul after all the things you did against early Christians, how are you going to hold a grudge or how are you going to be reluctant to embrace your brother and, and go forward with them? That might make you, that makes you look like a hypocrite. Somebody could say that, but the, uh, the other side to that is Paul, didn't stop serving God. He served God differently than he would have if he had of been, if he had of walked with Barnabas, if he had walked with Barnabas and Mark. But let me ask you, son, do you think that it would have been, how do you think things would have happened if Paul really didn't trust Mark? He really didn't trust him and they went out and they were trying to teach the world about God and his kingdom. If he was with somebody that he really didn't trust and he really didn't like, what do you think might have happened? Hmm. They would have broken up in some way. And at worst, the whole message, the whole mission of spreading the word would have been stunted. That's... <laughs> That's my son. I used about three minutes or four minutes to set something up, and he laid it out real quick. The answer really, really quick. It could have stunted the movement. It could have stunted the movement. Now, we know about the Apostle Paul. We we hear about Apostle, the Apostle Paul and books that he inspired. Uh, we don't hear nearly as much about Barnabas, but if it wasn't for what Barnabas did, we wouldn't have heard about Paul. So. You know, you make a very, very interesting point. 
if the if the good news had been stunted, then we would have all suffered. But if it was not for the faith that Paul was willing to act on, and if it wasn't for the faith that Barnabas was willing to act on, then the the church would have been stunted. God used them to walk differently. They didn't have to walk. They didn't have to do everything together side by side. God kept on blessing us as they went their separate ways. And I think that it's important to have good friends. It's important to be in the company of people that have good sense, people that have their faith in God and show it and not just giving it lip service. Yet it is important to know as a man uh, that sometimes you're going to have to stand alone or sometimes you're going to have to stand and it's going to feel like other people, you know, might pat you on the back, but they're not really going to walk with you. So do you think it's better to be with people that are, that, that, really care about you, but you're not, but they might not really be willing to sacrifice for you when the chips are down? Or do you think it would be better to be by yourself and not able to reach as many people because you're just one man? Hmm. Um, that's a difficult question. Is there any other, um, uh, extra details you could give in? That one really just came within the, like the last minute that was just on my heart. And I felt like knowing as how honest and genuine you are, I was curious to hear how you would handle that situation. There is value in being able to fellowship with others. There is power in numbers, especially numbers for good. Those people, we don't always have to agree a hundred percent, but we have to speak the same language and not the same, not seeing that everybody has to speak my phonetic language, but we all have to be working from the, on the same agenda. If we have the same agenda and, and carry ourselves the same way morally, then we don't have to do it the exact same way. I might laugh at different jokes than you. I might, um, I might be have more compassion or more drive to do this part of the job. And you might be more interested in doing that part of the job, but our gifts can complement each other. Yet sometimes people can be so different that even though they could make really good music together, those differences are so, so strong that it might make it very difficult to do anything together because they're always clashing. So I guess after elaborating a little bit more, I'm asking, do you think that more often than not, it's better to be, to do the best you can by yourself, even if it means you don't have very many people to, to be with, or do you think it's more important to try to try to surround yourself with good company? Both of those sound like good options, but for me, for me at least, I would go solo. Perhaps one of the, one of a really good gift that I have that many people might not think about at first, I tend to do better solo 
and I prefer to be to keep to myself most of the time. But I'm definitely social in some ways. And, you know, when it comes to doing certain things, I know that, well, I lack nothing if I have Jesus with me. And I know that he'll provide me a way anyway. And if it does involve me working by myself, he'll provide me a way in some form. Thank you very much for your honest and timely feedback, as always. As always, I want to thank everyone out there for taking the time to give us a shot, to give us to give this uh, opportunity to take about 40 minutes of your time. And I hope that you were entertained and something that we said might have inspired you in a positive way to hold on to and celebrate. The relationship that Jesus is offering you, the, the relationship that Jesus is honoring you with, and and to enjoy the fellowship of knowing and understanding that God does the impossible regularly. He blesses us in unconventional ways. He makes things plain that would otherwise be impossible for us to comprehend. And do you have anything to say to uh, to end the show? What do we always say about treasure and wealth, my big guy? Wealth is to be spent, but treasure is to be shared. Wealth is to be spent, but treasure is to be shared. Thank you, son. Thank you, everybody, and hope to talk to you again soon.